so glad to have you with us. Uh, turn, if you would, in your copies of God's Word uh, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. This may surprise you as an Easter passage, but it has very much to do with a resurrected Lord and some specific instructions about uh, protecting ourselves in Him. So, uh, here we are in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and following, and this is God's word. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I've, got a, I've got a picture for you. And this is, uh, it's, I can't tell you the name of this website. It's uh, New Age Blank Generator. And the blank is like a, a synonym for like baloney. Uh, New Age Baloney Generator, okay? But it's, 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 it's hours of fun. It's hours of fun. You click on it, and this website comes up. Inspiration requires exploration. Now, before you get a pen and write that down and go, oh, that's good, that's good. Uh, It goes on, gibberish. Uh, Nothing is impossible. To wander the circuit is to become one with it. What does that mean? (laughs) Nothing. Uh, It goes on. Health is the driver of life force. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, Only a seeker of the galaxy may integrate this osmosis of love. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Uh, If you hit the button and it reorganizes everything. So it takes all these new age thoughts and reorganizes them into a new website. Complexity is the healing of awareness and of us. What does that mean? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything at all. I got another one for you. What do you think about this verse? I don't know if you recognize this or not. When Jesus, the son of Mary, is held up as an example, behold, thy people raise a clamor thereat in ridicule. And they say, are our gods best or he? This they set forth to thee only by way of disputation. Yea, they are a contentious people. He was no more than a servant. We granted our favor to him and we made him an example to the children of Israel. Now, does anybody recognize that verse? You know why? It comes from this. You know what this is? The Koran. <laughs> um, that could fool people though, couldn't it? You could thumb through the Koran and there's verses about God. You know what's that saying? It's saying he, Jesus was no more than a servant. Uh, anybody who says that he's more than that, we ridicule him. That's what that's saying. It's the exact opposite of what we believe. But you see how easy it would be to be fooled. There's so many compelling, you know, flowery language. It, it, would, it seems like it would be 
uh, true, but uh, that, is, that is a book of lies. All right, so my point in showing those things to you is to demonstrate that it would be very easy to be fooled. There are all kinds of seductive things that sound deep around us, uh, but, but are not true. And so um, if you haven't known a believer who has uh, been fooled by a false teacher, or if you haven't known a believer who has fallen away from the Christian faith entirely, or fallen into a trap, or fallen into untruth, or faltered in his or her faith, um, then just, just wait, because you're going to see people that you love who are tricked and, and enticed into believing falsehood. You know, the same author of this book, Colossians, that, it's the Apostle Paul, right? And the Apostle Paul, just a, 10 pages to the left, it writes in Galatians chapter 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I mean, he's chastising them. He's going, come on, guys, really? Who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? And that's, that's after he has said this in the, in the opening chapter of the book of Galatians, I just read to you. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to even distort the gospel of Christ. But he says, even if we, the apostles, including the apostle Paul, he says, if we come at you with a different gospel or if an angel comes at you with a different gospel, let him be accursed. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Accursed, that means, you know, other, other, other people will translate it damned. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned. That seems pretty... Uh, pretty harsh, you know, for those in a, in a safe place in a local university to keep the little darlings from, uh, from harm. It seems like a harsh way to, to, to say it, but what he's doing is passionately speaking to protect souls, precious souls. He's saying, Galatians, watch out. Colossians, watch out. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Uh, don't be deluded. Um, in fact, he says this in, um, Right before our passage today, he says this, I, I say in order that no one may delude you. He doesn't want us to be tricked. Um, notice the assumed seductiveness too. Um, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. People will try to reason with you and tell you um, why uh, an untruth is a truth. Um, here's what he says just after the passage at hand today. After the passage, he says this, let no one disqualify you. Uh, insisting on asceticism. You know what that is? That's, um, you know, uh, strictness, uh, love of law, pride in law, pride in behavior. He said, don't let anybody disqualify you saying that you gotta be good enough and you gotta fix your own life. Don't let anybody trick you. Don't let anybody trick you into worshiping angels, going on in detail about visions, being puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and so on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I've been in ministry long enough to see people tricked and to, to see the, um, oh, just the love of sensational things. Uh, people go, yes, this is great, but, but I'm always looking for that something more, that something extra, that, that extra step or that sprinkle of magic dust. And let me be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want you to think that, um, that I don't know that God speaks to us in very personal and and profound and private ways. I mean, he speaks to us in the, in the deepest places of our hearts, in the regular everyday things about life. In fact, I just had a conversation with a gentleman either last Sunday or the Sunday before about this very thing. Uh, the Lord answered a prayer in just a, a profound, curious, 
little way. And you know, God does speak to us in a whisper a lot of the time. Sometimes there are lots of crashing and booming and banging, uh, but, but most often he speaks to us in, in a whisper. And you know that a whisper just doesn't mean um, it's quiet. It means that the speaker is close. God speaks to us close by. So I, I don't discount that at all. But, but friends, um, the writer of the scriptures here is saying, don't listen to people going on and on about visions that they've had. This just in, this just in, God just talked to me. Don't be fooled by the sensational. Don't be hooked by sensational things or extra biblical things. Um, all that said, uh, I think this is what we're supposed to get out of the, oops, out of the, uh, the text today, which is this, the fullness of the triumphant Christ is your soul's protection. I think that's the big idea that we're supposed to have here today. And I got it right from the passage. I mean, in verse uh, 16, 15, it says that Christ triumphed. And in verse nine, it says that uh, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means he's God. And we've been filled in him. And we'll talk about what that means um, as we go. So let's go to the first sermon point, which is this. Don't be kidnapped. Um, look at verse eight. Pastor's warning, the apostle Paul. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Here are some other Bible translations. Uh, New Living Translation says, don't let anyone capture you. That's pretty ominous sounding, isn't it? Um, how about the King James Version? Beware lest anyone spoil you. Um, how about this? Um, International Standard Version. See to it that no one enslaves you. And the New English translation says, be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you. And that's really it, isn't it? Um, when you're captivated, when you're captivated, um, it, it, it can be easy to be pulled into, into deeper captivity, right? If you're captivated by an idea, if, you're, if, you're, if your radar's on and you're searching for extra biblical things, you can be captivated and pulled into captivity. Very dangerous thing. Well, here's some methods. Um, it, you know, it says in verse four, let no one delude you with plausible arguments. Um, that, that refers to something that sounds fetching, uh, but is really just lies with good showmanship. Um, and here in our passage today, too, in verse eight, it says, see to it that, that no one takes you captive by philosophy. You know what philosophy means? It's love of wisdom. You know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia, philosophy is love of wisdom. Uh, let, let no one take you captive by philosophy. Um, here's a good quote from a commentator. He says that um, Christianity is philosophical. Christianity is philosophical because it makes holistic claims about the nature of reality and it sets values to guide your life. So Christianity is philosophical. It's, It's full of wisdom. It's full of reason. So the threat is not that we be a reasoning pe- people or that we think at all. That's not the threat. We're, we're supposed to be a reasoning people. We're supposed to be logical. But, and by the way, Paul, I, I firmly believe, is not making a, a reference to Greek uh, philosophy in this passage at all. I think he is saying that there are ideas and influences that seem very clever, that tickle the ears, but really are just an encroachment on the gospel. Beware of those things. In fact, he goes on to say philosophy and empty deceit. You know, it sounds good, eloquent even. I mean, a verse from the Quran sounds eloquent. Um, it sounds strange, 
Like you should have seen your faces when when I was reading it. You're, you're like, mm, I don't know about that. It's weird. I can't put my finger on it. But it sounds odd. It's supposed to sound odd. Um, you know, I, I tweeted this one time about, I don't know, a year and a half ago. You know who Rob Bell is? He wrote Velvet Elvis and uh, Love Wins and all that. Um, he's dangerous. Don't buy a Rob Bell book. Don't read a Rob Bell book. Run away from Rob Bell. Hate the name Rob Bell. Um, but I tweeted this, and I think I told you this one time before, and you all thought I was a horrible person, which is true. But my tweet was, if I ever run into Rob Bell in an airport, I'll probably cold cock him on the spleen. <laughs> um, you know, and I get to see it. Uh, hey, are you Rob Bell? Yeah. Ugh, sucker punch. Ugh, I don't know where the spleen is, but somewhere. Uh, man, he is just leading the church astray leading the lambs to slaughter. Here's what a reviewer said of him. Reading through Rob Bell's work is an exercise in frustration and heartache, especially when you realize how many people are being influenced by his liberal, unbiblical teaching about hell and universal salvation. Sure, the message sounds good, but it isn't biblically true. Now, let me read you the funny part. Would I recommend the book? Not at all. But then again, maybe I would if you are into researching bad teaching styles that use scripture to support an agenda that promotes faulty conclusions while tickling the ears of those who don't really know what the Bible is teaching. If that's the case, then it's a great book. (laughs) My point, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are not to be deceived by philosophy and empty deceit. Just because it's fanciful doesn't mean it's true. And it goes on. Um, We're not to be deceived by philosophy and empty deceit or according to human tradition. And uh, I think the meaning behind that is simply this. Just because something has been around for a long time and believed for a long time doesn't mean it's more valid. Doesn't mean it's true. I mean, Buddhism has been around for a long time. Hinduism has been around for a long time. Um, Islam has been around for a long time. Each has a long heritage, but that does not mean it's not a deceiver. Doesn't mean just because an error is believed for a long time doesn't make it not an error. It goes on to say, um, don't be deceived also by um, elemental spirits of the world. Now, what are these elemental spirits of the world? What is this spooky talk that the scriptures are saying here? Well, here's a perspective to start. The second half of it is not according to Christ. So we're, we're not supposed to believe anything that's not according to Christ, what Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of glory has said. So um, whatever these, these, these uh, spirits are, these elemental spirits, they're diametrically opposed to Christ. I think they're the same things that are in Ephesians 2. Um, you don't have to turn. Let me just jump there real quick. But the apostle Paul writes there. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and here it is, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all uh, once lived. Um, that's the idea. There, there are those who oppose God. There, there is a spiritual realm that's real. I mean, you're a spiritual being. You think in spiritual terms. You wonder um, how next Thursday is going to be. You know, your, your dog doesn't do that. Your dog doesn't have a sense of, mm, next Thursday, oh, that's right, I've got a very important calendar appointment. But you do. You wonder about ultimate issues. Your dog doesn't. They don't wonder where they came from. They don't wonder what's on the end of the horizon. They don't think like that, but we do. We're spiritual beings. We think in spiritual terms. And so we're not to be confused by um, 
anything in a, in a kingdom of darkness, a dominion of darkness. We're children of light. We're to live in the light. Um, all right, application for your life. Uh, who saw 12 years, it was 12 years a slave, right? 12? Who saw 12 years a slave? Who didn't see 12 years a slave? Oh, wow, y'all. Hey, it's worth your while. Um, it will rattle you. Um, there's a black dude living up in the Northeast somewhere. He's married uh, and has two kids, and he's a violinist. He's a free man. And um, Boston or somewhere like that, you know? And um, so he's a violinist, and he meets these couple of musicians, and they're like, hey, man, uh, we've got kind of a minstrel show madrigal thing or something, and we need a violin player. It's these two dudes, and, and uh, they, they say, hey, you want to play a gig? Yeah, okay, so they play a gig. And ha, 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 it's the gig's over, all their buddies now, they're, they played a gig. Um, and then they come to him a little while later, and they say, hey, we got another gig, good paying gig, but it's out of town. And he's like, hey, I'm down with it, man. Good paying gig. Uh, my, my bandmates now, I got some bandmates. And so these three go out of town and they drug him and they sell him into slavery where he remains for 12 years. Separated from his wife and family, no contact, hard labor, astonishing. But I will never forget the scene when they show him waking up from his stupor, his drug-induced stupor. And he is chained. He comes to... He was a free man, and now he's chained, and, he's, and he can't talk himself out of it, and he can't convince anybody that his name's not the name that they've given him, and, and they, they whip his back, and they scar him up so that he can't deny that he's a runaway slave. I mean, it's just shocking. Let me ask you a question. Do you like that scenario? Would you like that, to wake, to, to be drugged, pulled away from your family, probably never to see them again for all you know, wake up shackled. The writer of the scriptures is warning that you not be fooled, that you not be drawn into such a scenario where you would be shackled, where you would be enslaved, where you would be taken captive. Um, You know, um, this is a really wonderful British Anglican commentator But here, Dick Lucas, he says this, someone is out to capture the Colossians' allegiance, but it is worse than that. The unusual word used here speaks of the slave raider carrying off his victim, body and soul, carrying off his victim, body and soul. Um, God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to live in the light. He doesn't want you to be tricked. The scripture writer pleads for your very souls. He says, don't be fooled by philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits, anything not according to Christ. That's the warning of the scriptures. All right, our second point. Uh, We are joined to the living Christ. If you look at verse nine, it says, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now that's the opposite of what the Quran was saying. It was saying, no, not at all. Uh, he's just some bloke. Um, oh, messenger, sure, but uh, that's, it, that's it. This is saying specifically that Christ is the fullness of deity in bodily form. He is the son of God come down to earth, taking upon himself a human nature. This is specifically saying that. God, Jesus is God by nature. And it goes on to say, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. 
So he's fully God, the whole fullness of deity. And ladies and gentlemen, denial of that, you throw out the gospel. You know why? What does the sinner need? The sinner needs the righteousness of God. You know, in, in, uh, in scriptural terms, and, and, and you've heard me say this word a lot, and we sing it, we talk about being in debt, debtors to God, uh, to, to pay the sin debt. Why do we speak in those terms? What, if, if God's your maker, and if God is perfect, and he makes you and you rebel against him and you're not perfect, what, what, what's the problem? What do you owe him? If he's your maker, you owe him a perfect obedience. Have you given it to him? No. Well, you're a debtor. That's the sin problem. You're a debtor. And that's why the Bible speaks so often in legal terms. We'll talk about it at the very end too today, uh, how the Bible loves to speak in legal terms. Um, so we need the righteousness of God. That's, that, that's, the, that's the, the rescue. And it says here that, that, we, that Jesus is God and we've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now that's, that's very heady. Right? It's kind of like thinking of eternity. You think of eternity for more than two minutes and your, your mind starts to want to bl- explode. Um, and, and so thinking of Jesus as God and being filled uh, with him, th- those are just giant themes. And one um, writer said this, that he and his wife were, I'm paraphrasing all this, but he said he and his wife were standing on the ocean, uh, you know, on the shore, and they were talking about, what if I had a mason jar? and I dip that mason jar in the ocean, it would instantly be filled. If I submerged it, it would instantly be filled with the ocean. And yet at the same time, it wouldn't contain the ocean, the, the fullness of the ocean, right? It's, it's filled by the ocean, but it's not, it doesn't contain the whole ocean. And um, you know that's the same exact idea that Augustine was expressing in his writings, where he, he would say, God, do you... Do you you know, you fill all things, but, uh, and, and we're filled, but is it because we're in your sphere and it spills over? Or do, it's, it's this, this ponderance of the, 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 the vastness, the immensity of God and his sovereign power and all that. It's, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and so to continue on, uh, in verse 11, it says, in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. And if you brought a visitor today, you're probably like, dang it, circumcision, really? On Easter, it's, 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 boy, that's a, that's a tough thing. Ladies and gentlemen, very simply, all this is saying, circumcision in the Old Testament was a mark. It was a mark that set aside the covenant people of God and their families. It was a mark, all right? And so what this is simply saying here, ladies and gentlemen, is um, this is a metaphor for Christ's death. It, it being the thing that enables us to be forever marked as God's covenant people. That's what this is saying here, that Christ is the Lord of glory. He's got all the power. He's got the righteousness of God, and he's made it possible for us by what he accomplished on the cross to be rescued. Continuing in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, the idea here, we're joined to the living Christ. He died. We're joined to him by faith. And what that means is that we died too, that our sin debt was paid for. He rose from the dead. What does that mean? That we have a living hope. 
We don't have a defeated savior who is just some dude who lived a long time ago and he's dead just like Muhammad. We have a living Lord who is at the right hand of God holding kingly session. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. That's why the gospel writers bet absolutely everything on the resurrection. Uh, Paul would say, without the resurrection, we don't even have a gospel. All of our preaching is, is worthless. If the, we don't have a resurrected Lord, then what does it even matter? The point is, ladies and gentlemen, application for you is this. Uh, you want it simply put? Here's, here it is simply put. Verse 13. You were dead, and then you go a couple more lines, and it says, you've been made alive. You were dead, but now you're alive. That's the whole point, ladies and gentlemen. God has done this. The question is, how? Um, You know, folks, um, in, in verse 14, it says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This Christ set aside, nailing it to the cross. If uh, any of you grew up in uh, like Baptist camp or something like that, or if you've ever been to like a really terrible men's retreat, I remember one really, really horrible one years ago, horrible. Um, In fact, I think Dr. Young fell asleep and uh, the guy asked him a question and Dr. Young was like, the Bible, you know, he had some quick answer, but it was just... Awful. The only one more miserable in the room than me was Dr. Young. And, um, but it was one of these things where the guy, the, the speaker was like, man, gentlemen, we're going to do some business with God. And that's how you talk to men. And they go, business, oh, business, I understand business. We're going to do some business with God. And then he wheeled out a wooden cross. And you, do you know what happens then? Uh, at some point, you're supposed to write your sins down and walk up and nail it to the cross. And men are... It's the only way to get men to cry, talk about their dads or, or that, and they can feel the nail going in and all that stuff. Well, what's wrong with that scene? Jesus set our sin debt aside, nailing it to the cross. We don't have to walk up to another cross and go, doot, 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 doot. there's my sin. Oh, there's another one. Doot, 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 doot. We don't have to do that. It's been paid for. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ has accomplished it. It is finished. Salvation is yours in the now. Um, he nailed it to the cross. All right, last point. Home stretch here. Um, Jesus won. Look at this verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Uh, in short, ladies and gentlemen, those who oppose Jesus will lose. Jesus is victor. Jesus has won. And I know that sounds foolish to hardened onlookers who look at us like we're a bunch of idiots, but Jesus has won. He's defeated the enemy. Let me, um, let me read something to you. I'm not going to tell you where this is. Um, yeah, listen to this. Um, why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's saying, hey, hey, nobody's the boss of me. We're, we're, we're sovereign in our own. Uh, no one's the boss of me. That's what this is saying. The nations say it, people say it, people say it in their hearts. You know what the Bible says about that? 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do you know where that is in the Bible? Anybody know? Psalm 2. Two. It's not tucked away in the 140s somewhere. Two. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. It's the same idea as a triumphant Lord who um, uh, puts his enemies to open shame, triumphing over them. It's the same idea too, by the way, in the 23rd Psalm, the beloved 23rd Psalm. Um, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? Look what I got, Uh chicory leg. Before my enemies, they see it just paraded. The, the, the Lord sits enthroned in heaven and he laughs at those who say, you have no right over me. Uh, I have no boss but myself. God laughs at them. He holds them in derision, sarcastically, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Um, I, I think that this is a lesson to Christians. And I've been saying that the whole time. Uh, the Apostle Paul's writing in that way. It's a lesson to Christians. All right, but let me ask you a question. Um, are you interested in what I'm saying? You may or may not be a believer. You may be visiting or, or you may not be a believer. Or you may be a young person and you're in this room and you're like, is it my faith? Is it my parents' faith? What do I really believe? And I've heard all these things and here I am. My crazy life has brought me to this point on this day. Um, are you interested in what I'm saying? Uh, yes, mysterious. Yes, it's mysterious. There are things that are hard to understand, circumcision, all that. It's kind of weird, tough. Um, but are you interested? Um, because as I see it, nobody is currently storming out of the room going, this is ridiculous. I can't listen to this stupid stuff anymore. No one's storming out. Um, do you find what I'm pointing out in the Bible at least compelling and maybe even hopeful? I mean, just the, 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 the idea that the world can be fixed just the idea that, that the turmoil uh, in your heart, the turbulence that's rumbling can be addressed uh, in a spiritual and a powerful and an eternal way. Is that not even compelling? I bet it is. Um, you could just be polite. You might just be sitting here being polite, but I think it's more than that. You know what I think? I think that God may be doing a spiritual work in your life. I think that God may be talking to the deepest part of you, the core of your person, the center of your personality, your identity as a human being. I think God may be addressing you. And here's what it says in verse 13 of this passage. God took you when you were dead and made you alive. That's the essence of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, that that. He took the dead sinner and made that dead sinner alive because the living Lord laid down his life, paid the sin debt that we couldn't pay, and rescued us. And I close with this. All this legal terminology, that it's a debt that's been canceled with its legal demands and so on, um, it's been set aside, nailed to the cross. That's the transaction that's taken place in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on, your, on your account that uh, the sin debt has been paid and the sinner's been rescued. I hope that you'll accept that message uh, 
and uh, know that I speak in love. Let's pray. Righteous Father, we bow before you humbled because uh, we know that this is a fractured world and that we're fractured people and um, that um, we, we, can't even, we can't even love the spouse we've pledged to love more than anybody else for the rest of our lives. We can't even do that perfectly. Um, the, the, the number one person, uh, children fight and uh, countries war and um, relationships are always complex and, and hard and, f- and full of heartache sometimes. Um, but you're the fixer of those things, Lord. I pray, Father, that the beauty of the gospel would settle into the souls of these people, that you would uh, envelop them in your love and give them clarity of thought that they might not be deceived, but see everything according to Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Happy Easter. Thank <laughs> you.